You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Battalion Chief Brian Mulry. Today we have a special two-part episode where we discuss a roof rope rescue on the 20th floor of a high-rise fireproof multiple dwelling in Manhattan. Part one, we brought in three firefighters who were involved in the roof rope rescue. On part two, we brought in the officers from the chief standing in the street to two officers operating on the inside to get their perspective as well. In early November last year, our Midtown units responded to a fire on the 20th floor of a 37-story high-rise fireproof multiple dwelling. Early in the operation, units received reports of people trapped and showing at the windows. The ensuing operation highlighted a coordinated team effort that overcame multiple obstacles and culminated with two successful life-saving rope rescues. Part two of this operation, we're going to bring some officers who are on scene that day, get their command perspective. But first off, in studio with us today are firefighter Arthur Pogarski, Ladder 108, firefighter Darren Harsh, Rescue 1, and firefighter Chris Wellinger, Ladder Company 16, to discuss their roles. Welcome, guys. Thank you, Chief. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us, Chief. Arthur, we'll start with you. We always get a bio when we have people come on the podcast, just when you started, where you're assigned, and uh, where you worked. I started the academy in 2019, so I have a little bit over three years on. I went to Ladder Company 108th out of the academy, and then I did a rotation in Engine 55. And uh, on that day, I was detailed out to Ladder Company 16. Darren? I got on the job in uh, 2006 at a probie school. I was assigned to Ladder 129 in uh, Queens. And around 2013, I got an opportunity to go to uh, Squad 270 in South Jamaica. And I was there until October of last year, and I got another great opportunity to go to Rescue One in Manhattan. I came out of probie school in May of 2019. I was assigned to 16 truck. Did a year rotation in the South Bronx in Engine 71. And uh, yeah, at the time I was back in 16 truck. Okay, great. Let's get right into it. There's a whole bunch to talk about in this job. So much went on. And I said you overcame some obstacles. That's uh, putting it mildly. High-rise fireproof MDs. And this one fires on the 20th floor. I just thought maybe we'd start with uh, upon arrival. 16 truck, you show up. You're the second due truck. Why don't you tell me, Chris, did you get any information en route? Yeah, so in route, we did have information that person or people trapped at the window. We're second due. We know we're bringing the rope. You know, we knew the urgency of what was going on from the ticket. Upon arrival in the uh, lobby, the elevators were uh, stuck on the fire floor. At at least two of them were. They were non-operational, you know, as far as we knew. So You're the second due truck. Did the first due units, were they able to use the elevator? The first due units, I believe, made their way up in the elevator. Okay, and something happened after that that put those elevators out of service, and what did the chief just say? No elevators? It was not an option. You know, we made a quick assessment of that. Upon realizing, you know, there was an issue with the elevators, I darted around to the side, and I saw outside there was a stairwell entrance. So looked over to my boss, uh, Lieutenant Tecker. I was like, hey, boss, we got stairs over here. You know, he made the transmission, said, we're going to take the stairs, let's go. Right. That was it. We made our way up. Arthur, what did you see showing? It was fronting on the street, so you were able to get a look up at it? Yeah, when we were walking up, you actually couldn't see the victims too well because there was a lot of smoke pouring out of the windows when we first came. So we had no idea that there were three people up there. Now you got the first two units up there on 20, and now the elevators are out of service. So they're by themselves. 
So I'm sure with the people trapped, the incident commander must have saw that second truck and said, you need to assist on the floor above. Yeah, and you know, and they're first due, so they're taking the curtains, so. Explain those two assignments. In a high-rise fireproof MD, what are their tools? I guess the most important thing is they're bringing the KO curtain. For a wind-driven fire, is an important tool. Their assignment is to bring that and to put it in place if they, upon arriving to the floor above, find that there is a significant wind condition that could impact operations, they're going to put that into play. So it's crucial for the second new roof to bring the life-saving rope. And wind was not an issue that day, right? I don't remember it being uh, significant. You know, these buildings give us problem, whether it's windy or not, the air movement in these high-rise MDs. And it was November, so I'm sure it was chilly outside. So a lot of times that influences uh, how the smoke behaves inside the building. So as you're making your way up to the 20th floor, and it's confirmed, we have people trapped at the window. You ordered to the floor above, correct? That's correct. What did you see when you got there? I mean, we were passing a lot of people coming down. Some people didn't look to be in the best of shape, I think probably coming from the fire floor. So we're making way for these people, making sure they can get easy egress out. And we're pretty much on the, uh, arriving on the fire floor. So I was behind everyone and everyone started masking up. Notice there was a little bit of a smoke condition in the stairwell. So I think at the time I heard a transmission go over about uh, there being a water issue. Mm -hmm putting water on the fire and um, you know we were passing I think it was a member from uh, ladder two he was you know doing his best to control the door you know he had a hose line leading up to the floor above so on passing him you know you're not trying to trample him over you're trying to you know need to put water on the fire so you're trying to help push the line a little bit with him and uh, got to the floor above where there was significantly less of a smoke condition so and we know what we're up there doing so we're demasking taking off start trying to take off my equipment getting ready you're so, in the apartment directly above now and the conditions are not that bad is what you're saying right in the hallway and then leading to it yeah there was, there was not a condition like the floor below but um you know, making quick means of getting in there. I got in there after, uh, you know, Belvon was up near the window setting up. So he comes in with the rope, opens it up, and, you know, I'm, I'm immediately trying to find a, a good positioning for myself to be able to uh, lower him at that point. All right, so you have people showing, possible water emergency, and the elevators are out. Yeah, <laughs> Things are stacking up on you. Yeah, but even just coming into the lobby here and there was the elevators were stuck, I asked, you know, the doorman, is there people in the elevator? And there yeah. were, so, you know, you're worried about them too, you know, they're stuck on the fire floor sure. in the elevator, you're hoping they're okay. It was a lot to digest. Just yeah. Sounds like a drill out at the rock. Yeah. <laughs> and so let's go from there then. Now, people trapped, somebody's getting ready to be lowered. It was firefighter Belvon, the second due roof firefighter, correct? That's correct. And he was uh, in uh, ladder 16 on his year rotation. And, you know, he'd been there for quite a while. We obviously uh, had a fair amount of confidence in him because he, he was assigned the roof position that day. And, you know, he did everything he needed to do. He got the rope in place and uh, made it up there quick to be able to perform a roof rope rescue in a very short span of time. All right. Nacho, you're in the fire apartment above with your officer, and you're part of this team that's going to be lowering the first member on a rope, correct? Correct. Darren, rescue one, screaming across 51st Street. Luckily, it's a Saturday. I'm yeah, sure you were there in no time at all. Rescue one was in quarters. We were doing our daily equipment checks. Uh, ticket comes over, filling out the box, reported people trapped, 20th floor. Uh, get around the rig, start heading across town. At that point, we're monitoring both handy talkie and department radio. So as we're getting closer, they already confirmed the fire. Chief's outside confirming that he has three people at the window. So we make it on scene. The chief is there saying, uh, rescue, I need you to assist with the roof rope operation. We look up and we have a very good smoke condition coming out of the apartment and what appeared to be at least two people at the window and possibly one person hanging outside of the window. So we made our way into the lobby. There's a couple of the companies still in the lobby. 
We glanced at the uh, elevator bank. We noticed that a couple of the elevators were on the fire floor. We hear some discussion of members in front of us that they were saying that there was issues with the elevators. A member from Rescue One talked to uh, a building representative to try to identify a service elevator, which we were told was out of service. So you had the service elevator out of service and two elevators what appeared to be on the fire floor. So at that point, we looked at each other and we knew we had to start, you know, humping it up. So find the, the nearest stairs and we started making our way to the floor above. All right. So you're huffing it up. At this point, somebody's on the sill. Let's go back to the, the floor above because it's just trying to get the timeline down. We got up there when Belvon was at the window. Okay. So. All right. So early on. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the first person that went over. What did he see? What kind of information did you get from him? You know, obviously wanted to help the woman, but realized he, he might not be able to... Uh, do so from uh, his vantage point. Additional uh, resources were going to be uh, needed for this roof rope operation to be successful. So I think he gained that information upon being lowered and realized pretty quick we're going to have to get another person down there to help him out. Right. Darren, what do you remember hearing at that point? Yeah, we're making our way up the stairs. When we got to the fire floor, we knew that either the apartment door on the fire floor was either open or ajar, making that hallway an IDLH. So we made it past that, got up to the floor above. Once we got up there, 16 had the rope out. Belvon was at the window. I went into the one bedroom and I started looking for an additional area where we might lower from. And because with multiple people at the windows, we knew that there was going to be a quick procession of guys going out to grab each victim. Mm -hmm. So the initial plan was to have another area potentially to lower from, which would be right up against the sill. So did a face-to-face -face with the members from 16. They were getting ready to put Belvon out. Renal Jean from Rescue One, he had the roof position. He was already looking at their anchor points and potentially some more anchor points for additional ropes. So we got into position, 16 had it. We just gave a quick look over their equipment. We were like, yeah, you're good when you're ready. And they put Belvon out. They had good communication. You could hear them say, down, 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 stop. And you could actually hear Belvon asking the woman to let go. That's kind of when, you know, made it over to the window and uh, looked out. And Belvon just said to us that she was stuck at this point. She was stuck. We weren't sure what we had. But that's when we looked over and Arthur was ready to go next. The additional Rescue One's rope was handed off to a member to set up. And that snap hook was given to Arthur. So I was able to do a face-to-face -face with Arthur before he went out. We just had a quick conversation. Uh, I didn't know his name at the time. But I said, hey, you're about to go out. You're good. It looks like you're going to need... Halligan, potentially. Now, did, did you get that information he, when he said he was stuck? Did he rely stuck on a child gate? Yeah, you couldn't see exactly what she was stuck on. All Belvon gave us that she was stuck. That's when we discussed with Arthur, you're going to have to go out with a tool. We're not sure what you have. Do you have this? And he's like, yeah, I got it. So we put him out. We hand him Halligan. And then Arthur was on his way shows the discipline also you know when we train for a rescue pickup we don't train with a tool but he recognized i don't have what i need here right relayed the information and really cleared the space for the next person to come down right so arthur now you're up you detailed a lot of 16 for the day and now here you are so the first thing i, I was noticing when i was at the window i, I quickly looked for my anti-chafing device which i didn't have so i improvised real quick and i i used the lsr bag when I went out, I asked to be lowered, and I eventually reached the height of the woman. There was a lighter smoke condition than when Belvon was out, so I, I got to get a way better look at her arm. At first, I tried to come up with a quick way that I could maybe just pull her out and hold well, her. Well, just let our audience know, what did you have? Like, uh, it was a child gate. Yeah, it, it was a child gate, but it definitely wasn't a cheap one. It, it looked a little bit more substantial, and uh, her arm was snaked through it more than once. You could tell that it was broken, 
and her full body weight was wedging it into the shallow gate. I couldn't figure out a way to use my halogen with one hand and hold her body weight with the other hand. Mm. So that's when I communicate to the members above that we're going to need two people simultaneously working on this lady to get her out. You're going to need assistance. Yeah, and I, I looked up and I asked immediately for Rescue One to send someone else to help me so we could make this actually happen. Well, that's a good pickup because really a child gate is one instance where we say a rescue pickup might not be feasible. Right. And especially if it's not one of the cheap ones, this is in a more substantial one, it's, it's going to create some real problems for you that you're even able to overcome it is pretty impressive. One thing that I commend Arthur on uh, a lot is that he, he attempted, but he recognized when he needed to stop and he recognized when he needed assistance. That was huge. You know, it's hard for anyone to be in that situation. And, you know, all egos aside, you want to affect the rescue. But there's a time and place when you're like, you know what, I do need help. I do need assistance. And he recognized that and asked for it. From Rescue One's point of view, our plan was to put the members from 16 and Ladder 2 out the window as fast as we could to pick up the victim safely and get him into the floor below. In that position, our job is really to look at where potential problems can be, and usually problems arise in the lowering operation. In this particular case, the problem was on the exterior of the building. So a quick discussion with first through roof, Ladder 2, who was up next. I said, hey, listen, one of us from one are going to have to go next. You're going to go after. We need to get eyes on this because something more is going on outside the window, and we need to figure out a plan here. And he understood right away, so I did a face-to-face with Arthur, uh, let him know I was coming next. Mm -hmm. I asked for an additional roof rope at that time, and Ronald Jean from one, he's like, Darren, we don't have one. So we discussed, and we had Belvon lowered to the floor below completely, and we asked Belvon to come off rope. Once he was safe, he disconnected, we raised it up, and Chris was able to take out all the slack out of that rope. I connected, and I was preparing myself to be lowered. Chris, now you're going to lower a second person. You know, there was a lot of hands on deck up there, and everyone was doing whatever they could to help the operation. So I remember repositioning myself a little bit and putting new turns in the rope. The member from Ladder 2 was helping me with that, and I was in a secure position. I believe a member from Rescue, uh, I think uh, Jimmy... Uh, Jim KL from Rescue 1, that was the chauffeur, assisted him with, uh, I believe, an uh, anchoring and... Uh, uh, holding you, right? He was able to pop through the sheetrock behind me in a little cutout in the wall, and I was able to wrap the rope around studs. Then he came in front of me and kind of just bear hugged me in my position. So, you know, I felt pretty secure the way I was positioned, but having him there as extra security blanket made me feel uh, like things were probably going to go pretty well. They are 200 feet in the air, so. <laughs> For sure. Uh, all right, Darren, to you. Yeah, so uh, at this point, Chris was able to take the slack out of that rope. He took his new turns. I positioned myself to be lowered at the window. Ronald from Rescue One was able to move up, and he was, at that point, became a pretty pinnacle role in establishing communication for me and to the members doing the lowering. Because right now we have a member on rope that's trying to work out how to extricate a victim from a child gate. I'm prepared to be lowered on rope. At this point, we're going to have two members on rope again. We just had a member drop in on the floor below. So between the rope reset, the communication of who needs to be lowered and when, Ronald was able to step up to that window and orchestrate that play, which was huge. So I was then lowered out the window directly over the woman hanging in the gate. And could you take a minute 
explain to people who don't have a visual that we all do. She was standing on the windowsill, essentially. So the best way to describe this was you had, it's really a double window. One side had a child gate, the other side was open. There was three victims initially at that open part. The best way I can think of it was that she was the smaller of the three. I believe what she tried to do was hang out the window to give more room for the other victims to breathe. In doing that, she must have decided to weave her arm in and out of the child gate. And the best way to describe is similar to how we would do a ladder leg lock on a portable ladder. She did that with her arm. Now, whether if she slipped, uh, went unconscious briefly, or just fell, whatever the case may be, when she did, when that happened, the way her arm was woven in the child gate, it broke in several locations. One being a compound fracture, actually locking her into the child gate. So that was her main point of attachment to the child gate and the building. Like Arthur said before, that child gate was more substantial than normal, and it was able to hold her complete body weight the whole time she was hanging. If it wasn't for her arm broken and attached to that gate, she wouldn't be alive today. That really did save her life. Yeah. So I get down to that window. Now I finally got a view of what the other members had, and now it started coming up with a game plan. The way her arm was, I did not want to start manipulating, touching the gate or her arm until we had hands on her. You know, we trained for a lot of things within the fire department. We trained for, uh, for a lot of contingencies yeah, within what ifs. Yeah, what ifs in, in special operations. We've always talked about in the past about a victim or even a member trapped behind a child gate or window bars, what would we do to get them out? But we never really discussed someone entangled in a child gate. So the only thing that... Well, it just takes away the, the pounding, right? You know, right. you know how we normally take child gates. Correct. And you can't, you do, you can't that. do that. That's her anchor. Like, yeah. That's her anchor. So now in position, looking at it, you, you have to try to relate on your training. So at this point, I'm recognizing it's a mix between uh, an extrication, you know, like man and machine type thing, and a high angle pickoff. So trying to use those skill sets with the limited equipment we had and the manpower we had, how could we work this out? So the first step in that was, well, we need to get hands on her better. I'm not going to be able to hold her and extricate her, and that's what Arthur came across. So what we had to do was basically make sure Arthur had her really good. So I glanced down, noticed Arthur was a little lower on her body, so I knew we needed to raise him up. I communicated that to Ronald. His initial plan was to set up a crude two-to-one mechanical advantage, something that we've trained for numerous times to get a raise. But him being heads up, he went right back out and he asked, hey, how far do we need to raise the first member? And I said, only a couple of feet. And he decided to go with a one-to-one, -one, coordinating a raising operation with the member that was lowering, has to take up the slack. And the only issue with that is anytime we do it to any type of raise, there's sometimes the settling in of the rope. Did they were able to take out a little slack? So I, all I could do at that point was place my hand on the rope and see what kind of raise they got. So Ronald calls for the raise. They go for it. I feel the rope go up and I feel no rope retract down. So I'm like, all right, they had a good lift, and I happened to glance back over to see if Arthur was in good position. He was. Just the one lift, right? Yeah, one lift. They were able to get it right where we needed it, and uh, now Arthur is now in position to hold her. Now it's me and Arthur on rope discussing the next plan. You know, I said, Arthur, make sure you get her real good. You know, once I saw her, he had a really good grasp on her. Now I can start sizing up the gate on how. So we're you're transferring the weight to Arthur on the rope. Is that accurate? For the most part. Yeah, essentially, because. Uh, when I was under her, I was there to hold her weight, but in reality, 
her arm was holding her waist. I, I was there kind of like a safety. So to get a good grasp on her, I needed to be a little bit higher. So that's why they did the raise. And when, when I was level with her, I remember back training at Ladder Company 108th. One of the guys told me that when he did his rope rescue, he bear hugged the guy while he was upside down. And that's the first thing that came to my mind, like, let me just freaking bear hug this lady. And that's why I did. And it's also you have her back, too. Yeah, I had her back. Yeah. So I, I wrapped my legs around her and my arms, and I just squeezed tight and held on. Yeah, Noel, what other option do you have? She's stuck right. and facing away. That was one of the major concerns in this, because since she was facing away, she's already been hanging for quite some time. She's fatigued. Yeah, we knew once we released her arm, and she was not going to be much of a help. And, you know... One of the things that we train for well from probing school on is we're always ready to accept a conscious, alert victim that's ready to assist you. They're going to face you. They're going to wrap their arms around you. They're going to hold. Of average size. Of average size. You can <laughs> communicate, and you're going to hold on tight to each other. In this case, we knew Arthur was not going to have that. She was facing away, and we assumed once her arms released, she was going to be nothing but dead weight. So that was one of the major concerns is, like, the actual releasing of her arm. So sizing that up, looking at the gate, the way her arm was weaved in and out and the way it was broken, I had a brief conversation with the victim. She was still conscious and alert. I explained to her that her arm was broken and that we were going to get her out. What we decided to do was remote from her arm, bend the gate in and out. And basically, by bending that one channel where the majority of her arm was, will give me a slightly larger area to slide her arm to. So that was the first plan. The second plan was I was going to actually have to manipulate her arm in some way to get it there. And I told her this, and she understood, and she was game for whatever needed to happen. So since Arthur now is in position and has her good, I placed my hands on her arm. I started to manipulate the best I can, and I was able to work out what parts were stuck, what parts weren't, and slide it over to that area that I made slightly wider. And then that gave me also a point where I was able to communicate with Arthur I know this next move is going to release her body weight. I then discussed with Arthur, I said, hey, when I say ready out loud, I want you to hold as tight as you can. Because once I say ready, after that, you're going to have the full body weight of her. And I said that, and I moved it over, and the arm released. I would just like to say how important it was that he gave me that heads up. Because if you imagine, like if you're in the gym and someone just drops 200 pounds on you, you're not ready for it. That's, that's crazy. Yeah, the coordination is, is really one of the most impressive part about this whole thing. I watched the arm snake out and go down, and Arthur had her completely, which was a huge sigh of relief. What was their emotional state at that point? All three victims wanted out of that apartment. I think when they saw the ropes, they thought, like, they can get onto them. So there was conversations with the other victims as well. But trying to make sure everyone's on the same page, including the victims. I knew that the members on the floor above will be able to handle a simultaneous lower. Once Arthur had her completely, and I asked for Renal to lower, my focus now was now move over to the second victim. Arthur, how did it go? You, you took the weight, he freed the arm. Any issues getting her down in the window? No, getting her down in the window was smooth. The members were right there at the window below, ready to receive us. So it was a completely smooth entrance to the floor below. And they were able to take the victim from me and give her immediate medical assistance. Hand them off the EMS. How did your lowering operation go after that? Very smoothly. After the victim that was hanging was removed, a lot of pressure was off of us. It was back kind of to a regular roof rope operation. Now she's conscious alert and she's ready to help. So I say, hey, wrap your arms around me. It's back to probing school. You know, it's like, all right, wrap your arms around me, 
hold me tight. Off we were at with the second second victim. Okay. Were you hearing any transmissions? What was going on on the fire floor? Were conditions changing at this point? Yeah, at this point, you hear that they were able to get a good push with the line. They were starting to knock down fire. We still had one more victim in the apartment. Mm-hmm. The members on the floor above were already orchestrating, getting both me and Arthur off rope to get another member on rope, just in case, which they did. I believe it was Adam from Ladder 2, which was the first through roof. They got him on rope, got him out. But at that time, the members on the fire floor did an exceptional job. They were able to get into the apartment, and Adam was already on rope at this time. The call was made that the victim would be removed through the apartment, which was good. He was a rather large victim. always preferable. Yeah, always preferable. He was a pretty big guy as well. Yeah, he was a very big guy. And the thing about it was that we've just pulled off two roof rope rescues, and if we can now end this in a positive note and get that victim through the fire apartment, especially that they've gained control of it, that's huge. So Adam was already out the window in case he got to the victim, established communication. And at that time, the chief uh, called it. He says, no more victims out the window. Then Adam was then lowered to the floor below. Yeah. And the thing about it also is, is when we have these things, we took a few minutes to describe it, but this all happened very fast. Yeah. It's, it's immediate. 100%. Yeah. So much coordination. And really, you can't listen to this story and not highlight the teamwork that went on in this operation. Yeah, teamwork and communication was it here. And the fact that we had players in all these positions work together and communicate, that's what made this operation successful. And I love also all the details because we have cross-training programs. That's what we do when our newer members, we take them out of their original company. We send them to a different area of the city so they could learn. You got sent to Little Italy, right? Engine 55? Correct. Yeah. When you left 108, if I would have told you you're going to be on a rope 200 feet in the air in a detail as a can, (laughs) what are the chances, right? Yeah, I never thought that was even ever a possibility. It just out of the blue, and I'm just grateful that it went well. Yeah, again, it goes back to the testament of the training of our members. Everybody's trained in this operation. doesn't matter if you're an engine, any part of the city. We drill on it every week, and uh, it paid off. I know we've covered almost everything, but uh, I'll just start with you, Chris. Let's just go with, like, lessons learned. Just things like, you know, uh, every fire, right? We go to fire, if I had that again, this would be in my head. Uh, maybe I'd do it differently. Maybe I'd improve upon how I did it the first time. Yeah, just to add again, you know, there was a lot of members from a lot of different units up there, and everyone did a really great You never want to leave anyone out. And I know those members from 35 lower and two truck did a great job being up there first. I'm fortunate I'm a member of 16 truck. We got a lot of great members. We got a lot of great bosses, great captain. Two of our lieutenants are members of the rope unit. And every Monday, Tuesday, when we drill on the rope, we have a little up. Uh, raised platform where we actually go over the wall and other days of the week as well. It's not just pulling the rope out of the bag and putting it back in the opposite way. It's we put our hands on it. And I think that's crucial, you know, trying to develop muscle memory. Yeah, well, Ladder 16 was uh, ready for this before the tones went off, as you're saying. How about you over there in Rescue One? Yeah, so uh, when it comes to the uh, roof rope evolution, members train on it very extensively. We look at just the, the regular operation, what other companies are doing. You have to look at past incidents, how they did it. You always have to have the next plan, a contingency. And as you hear how companies are drilling and training on it, we have to like look at that and say, all right, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? And even with that all being said, uh, in this particular situation, we wind up finding a scenario that we didn't really train for. But because of all the drilling and training, all the other stuff, it still was something that we could recognize and handle. To be a part of a roof rope operation is extremely rare. I never thought I would be part of it throughout you know, my career, I trained on it quite extensively. I'm lucky enough to be around a lot of very talented members of the department 
who are always thinking of the next potential issue, and they come up with some very interesting drills to, to get us prepared. It really pays off on that day, you know. I can't overstate how important training is. From probe school on, we train on the roof rope. And as companies get more comfortable doing the, the operation, you should always look at what's next. What's the next step? How can we challenge each other? And an example might be, will we ever go out on the rope with a Halligan? You know, s small things like that. In a safe environment in training, can we challenge each other to be better? Luckily enough, in special operations, that's what members do. And it's just nice to be a part of that. And to see a successful outcome is huge. Absolutely. Arthur, how about some takeaways? Lessons learned if you had it again. One of the things I noticed is how well trained we are. Because in a situation like that, your adrenaline is so high up that it's, it's harder to think clear. So it's really important to have the basics of setting up a root rope being second nature to you. So you could do them without really thinking about it. A lot of things we train on, we train on them so that they become like behaviors. We just know how to do it. Even under all this pressure, you could still make it happen. One of the amazing things is how interchangeable we are as a department. There were members from engines, trucks, and different boroughs as well. As Darren was saying before, they didn't know each other's names when we were up there. So I would just highlight how important it is just to know your basics. So when you come across complex operations like this, you have some kind of foundation to go off. Yeah, falling back on your training, right? Exactly. Everybody that showed up that day did a great job, and we just want to give them all a nod. This is so impressive. The coordination and the teamwork that went on in this operation, along with all the obstacles, obstacles on the fire floor, obstacles with the building, and there were obstacles with the rope rescue, and you were able to improvise and overcome. Did a great job, and you really made us all look good. I appreciate you having us. Yeah, thank you, Chief. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Chief. It was an honor. Stay tuned for part two of this operation. We're going to talk to some of the officers on scene, the initial IC, and some of the officers on the fire floor and the floor above, and we're going to get a command perspective. In part one of this episode, we sat down with three firefighters to discuss the life-saving rope rescue which occurred in Manhattan this past November. The fire was in a fireproof, high-rise, multiple dwelling, and along with the rope rescue, our units overcame numerous operational challenges while fighting this fire. Today we're sitting down with three officers who operated to get an officer's perspective on this operation. With us today are Battalion Chief Anthony Pascicello, Battalion 9, Lieutenant Adrian Walsh, Rescue Company 1, and Lieutenant Joseph Decker, Ladder Company 16. Welcome. Thank All you. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Right, guys. Thanks for coming down. I appreciate it. We usually get a quick bio. Chief Pascicello, you've been with us. This is your third episode. Yes. You're in Battalion 9 in Manhattan. Nothing's changed, correct? No, everything's the same. All right, great. On to you then, Lieutenant Adrian Walsh. Came on in April of 97. Uh, I did the bounce around for three years. So I worked in Engine 226, Ladder 20, and Engine 234. Went back to Ladder 20. September 11th happened, and in October of 2002, I moved over to Squad 18 as a firefighter. After that, went a couple of years, went to Rescue 5, uh, got promoted, bounced around Division 11, and then went back to SOC to run the Scooby unit, and then bounced around SOC and eventually became a lieutenant in Squad 18, and then eventually a lieutenant in Rescue 1. Lieutenant Joe Decker. So I got on in uh, January of 08. I was assigned to Ladder 104 in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I got promoted in June of 2017 to lieutenant, and I uh, got assigned to the 8th Battalion in the 3rd Division. I was a lieutenant in Engine 39 for about two and a half years, and I've been a lieutenant in Ladder 16 for about a year and a half now. All right, great. Let's get right into it. 
we sat down with the firefighters who operate on the floor above, two who went out on a rope, one who was involved in a lowering operation. If we could get everybody at this operation to sit down, we would have. We just have to pick and choose a few people to come down and uh, offer their perspective. But everybody did an amazing job. And that shined through uh, when we sat down with those firefighters. You were the all-hands chief, but then you ended up being the initial incident commander. Correct. Maybe start with your perspective. And I also want to talk a little bit about that there was an acting battalion chief initially there. Maybe a little bit about our procedure. Sure. So I was in quarters that morning. The ticket came in and I knew it was going to be a a serious fire because the house watch person got on the voice alarm speaker and said, fire, fire, fire. Grabbed the ticket and I saw it was filling out the assignment for a fire in a multiple dwelling. We started north on 8th Avenue and the dispatcher was relaying all kinds of information about fire on a 20th floor with, with persons trapped. And for some reason, I had a a thought in my head that the 8th Battalion might have had a a captain as an acting battalion chief. So I used the iPad, and I I pulled up the incident, and I looked at the writing list. And sure enough, Battalion 8 had uh, Captain Schmidt from Engine 8 as the acting battalion chief. And I knew at that point we would be going to the scene pretty quickly because it was a Saturday morning. Traffic was light. So I told my aide, when we get there, we're not going to be the fire sector. We're now going to be the incident commander. We were about halfway there on 52nd Street when the 8th Battalion gave the 1077. And I knew at that point this was going to be a serious fire. When we arrived, I basically jumped out of the car and I ran up to the courtyard and I saw Captain Schmidt there. He was on the radio giving some direction, but he was fully geared up. And he looked at me, I looked at him, and I just gave him the the wave to go ahead that I had it from that point, and that he would become the uh, fire sector, and then I was going to take over as incident commander. Yeah, let me explain that real quick. When there's a vacancy in the chief rank, we fill it with a captain. We call him acting out of title. And the procedure is when the second duke chief arrives, if they're a battalion chief, they relieve that person. They become the incident commander, and they send them to become the fire sector. And what's important about that is, and this has happened to me, it's important to be aware of who's working where around you. Like chief sheets change a lot in the early part of the tour. And I've had it where I've shown up, masked up, geared up, ready to go. I'm the all-hands chief, and it isn't acting out of title. Now it changes everything, especially if you have all that stuff coming at you, like people trapped. It's a 1077. If I was the IC, I would be writing stuff down. I have my clipboard ready. It's a different mode. So it's just the importance of like really keeping track of who's working around you. Correct. All right, so now you're now the initial IC. He's the fire sector. Right. So um, I looked up and I saw a, a pretty heavy smoke condition emanating out of the 20th floor. As I looked up, I could see a person at the window in the fire apartment with smoke swirling around them. I had put that out over the air that we had a person at the window. And then a short time later, I looked up again, and now I saw three heads at that window. So I knew this was going to be a problem, being that we had multiple people trapped in that apartment. At that point, conditions were increasing on the fire floor. I could see the people starting to exit the window. And I knew at that point we were going to probably witness a uh, life-saving rope rescue taking place. I had put that out again over the air to the members in the apartment on the floor above. I had seen a couple of members at the window. And then is uh, this where you assigned your second due unit to the to the rope rescue? Not as of yet. I kind of let them continue their normal operations. What happened next was rescue one had arrived. Lieutenant Walsh had reported in, and I had said to her, "Lou, it looks like we're going to have multiple rope rescues. Can you go up to the floor above and supervise this?" And I knew also too, their members carrying their rope. The more ropes brought up were going to be needed. So Lieutenant acknowledged that. But right before that, I had gotten a report that the elevators weren't operating properly. And I think I told that to Lieutenant Walsh. And I said, oh, by the way, I think the elevators might be out. It, that was confirmed a short time later by units on the scene and also right, by so Lieutenant Walsh. First two units, mm-hmm. eight and two, got in the elevator, 
they're up there on, on the floor below setting up and on the fire floor. Correct. And the elevators go out. Correct. All right, so that's a first curveball for Correct. sure. Correct, without a doubt. I knew that time was of the essence at this point. So Ladder 16 had reported in already. They had arrived before right. I did. Yeah, I, you know, normally their position is on the on the fire floor. Yeah, also. that's what they're normally our second due trucks going to search that hallway and search the attacks there, unless there's an incident going on, like a, an, an immediate life hazard, like a life hazard. Correct. So at that point, because things had escalated so much, the Eighth Battalion Eight had already gone ahead and transmitted the second alarm, which was great because I knew we were going to need additional resources at this fire. I figured the more members up there, the better this would go. So I had directed Lieutenant Decker to take his members and go to the floor above also to help with the rope rescues that were going to occur from the floor above. At that point, I started receiving radio reports from the first two truck from Lieutenant DiGiulio of Ladder 2, and the reports that I got were, were not good. Now, we already knew that the elevators were down. It was a 37-story building, and the fire was on the 20th floor. Now he reported... The fire apartment door was not fully closed, that it was partially open, that there was a delay with the hose line, that they didn't have water yet commencing on the fire. And the third curveball was going to be that it was a lithium-ion bike that was burning right at the entrance to the apartment. So all of those factors together were, were not adding up as being a, a successful outcome yeah, right yeah. now. It's out in the hallway, which is bad for us. Right. So the life-saving rope rescue, to me, was going to be the only option for these people to, to survive this fire. So at that point, uh, like I said, now I, I knew in my mind I had Rescue 1, Ladder 16, you know, supporting those members up there to see this through. And uh, hopefully the outcome was going to be positive. Yeah. And I'm going to put you on hold and, and go to you, Joe. So now you're taking the stairs up? Yes. So we came into the lobby. There was three elevators. And you're ahead of the battalion at this point. You probably responded with the 8th Battalion, correct? Yes. So we got in right after 21 engine. 21 engine was in the lobby. Spoke to the officer. He's waiting for the elevators to come down. We uh, radioed up to Latitude's OV just to see what's going on. We need the elevators. I had my Irons firefighter, Wellinger, look for the staircase because it wasn't directly inside the lobby. It was about, I would say, 75 feet towards like exposure to the building. So he went, found it, got back to me, and waited a few more seconds, and time was of the essence, and they were calling for a rope, and we had the rope, so. Yeah, we knew the second we, truck. That's we knew, your job. We knew what we had to do, so, you know, we went to the staircase and started walking. You have two details on the inside with you, correct? I have Firefighter uh, Progowski from Engine 55, who was on his year rotation. He's actually from Ladder 108 in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. I also have my roof member, Firefighter Quarantine, who's on his year rotation from engine 295. And he's been with us for about 10 months now, and he was assigned the roof position for that tour. So we went to the staircase and we just started climbing. And then uh, on the 20th floor with engine eight's hose line was actually looped up on the half landing and it was preventing us from getting past it. Um, it was a tight, narrow staircase. Right. So at that time it was blackout conditions. We couldn't see anything. We had to mask up quickly. At the same time, we had to get the hose line from out underneath the yeah. 20th floor hallway door yeah. that was stuck. So we all masked up. We moved the hose line from stuck underneath that doorway, and then we were able to progress away and make it to the floor above. How was it on the floor above for the conditions? It was clear. Stairway was charged. That was it. Once we got into the hallway, there was not much smoke at all. And then especially once we got into the apartment, there was nothing. There was no smoke condition in our way. So we all dropped our SCBAs, and then yeah. we got into position. Adrian, you, you talked a little bit about that water emergency. So maybe just walk us through your, your arrival. Any special instructions from the chief? No, as Chief Pescicello said, you know, I have people out the window. I need you up there. We go into the lobby. 
everybody is in front of us, in front of the elevators, and we're hearing reports. There was someone in an elevator, an OV in the elevator, saying, I can't get the door closed, and he is upstairs. I think, okay, this isn't good. So I go find the, the super who's not too far away, and I said, where's your freight? And he pointed to the third elevator lobby and said, that's it. I said, that's your freight elevator? He said, that's what we're using and now. The, I said, and explain that normally... You try to find a freight, freight elevator, elevator that's separated from the lobby that probably at this point is not damaged by water yeah. or smoke or just human beings piling in them. Yeah. So you usually go and do that, and that can be a very... Uh, that's got to be an SOP uh, for Manhattan. Yes. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And when he pointed to one of the ones in the lobby, I thought, right, okay, so they didn't have this, this is a problem, yeah. 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 And then we just turned and started for the stairs. So we were like the first group going up, taking point. And you're hearing us, so you know there's a rope rescue. What I'm really hearing is um, the... Officer right at the fire apartment. I have heavy fire. I've tried to go in, can't go in. We're detaining the door. So I knew exactly what was, you know, going on. They're waiting for water. Okay, there's a, uh, there's a little slight delay going for water. So I got up to 15 and I radioed down to Chief Pascello just to make sure he knew that everybody is on the stairs. You know, the first line is going to be essential. Everybody is hoofing it at this yeah. point. I get up to 20 and I mask up to go in just to make sure. Cause I want you to get into that. Rescue company operations at this fire, even with a rope rescue, do you still do a fire floor team and a floor above team? You have to, yeah, because you have to make sure that everything is in place. You do also know that there are going to be companies already up there who have roof members. So at this point, you have people up there. I have two of my members going up there to start setting up. I have a can firefighter going in to check the line, and I'm going to check the line just to make sure. So I beeline it down to the door, mm -hmm. and what I hear is, you know, lighten up on the line. And I, I think to myself, I just made it all the way down the hallway pretty quickly, and I saw no no obstruction in the way. You heard lighten up on the line, and you had just made it your way down that hallway. You saw no obstructions. None whatsoever. There was nothing that I could yeah. see. Not, you know, baby carriages, people think nothing there. That would that would indicate that there, there was An no way they could right, pull. I can't make it into the apartment because, of course, there's too many people, but they've got, you know, they've got water and they're and they holding it. The they're door. holding it. They have control of the door. So I thought, well, there's something going on. So I make a beeline back out to the stairs, up the stairs, and that's where I encounter my chauffeur on the stairs with a, another member of Ladder 35 prying open the uh, hinge. So, so essentially what we had is, is it was a water emergency. The line was underneath the door, and it was charged. Yes. Two firefighters in front of me pulling and then them releasing the hinge on the door. Once the hinge was released, we could pull the line, and that enabled the line to be pulled all the way down the hallway back into the apartment so they could Which get Which prevents further. you from having to shut it down. Like the thought I have is, you know, just to make sure the line is in place, and then I was going to make a beeline right up the stairs to the roof rope yeah. rescue because that's where I needed to be. Right. But once you have this problem, you know, you may not have to do a roof rope rescue if you uh, get the absolutely. fire out and you can pull people from... So if we have a problem, mm -hmm. and maybe the communication is not necessarily getting from the line to the obstruction where it needs to be released. Part of my job is to make That's sure job, that yep. part A is done before I go to part B. I know I had two very experienced members up there who were going to start getting things together and making sure the operation was run well. So to get that line in place, that was the first huge check. Once they get that water in there, yeah. then I can run up the stairs and see where we are. And, and that's going on concurrently. They were having Very pressure quick. problems with yeah. the water. And, and that's how these rope rescues, it seems they unfold. They're immediate. We talk about it, and it takes us 20 minutes to tell a story. But all this was happening at once. Upon arrival, you had three people at the window, one who climbed out. But let's get to it. Let's get to the floor above. Joe, I thought we'll go back to you. So the first member that went over was a lot of 1-6's roof member, which is a firefighter current tank. So we get into the apartment, 
go right into the bedroom, right above from where these three individuals are hanging out the window. Mm -hmm. So fire, fire, quarantine doesn't hesitate. He gets to the window, gets into position. Another firefighter, firefighter Wellinger, he tied into the system, so he was gonna be the lowering member. And then we were set and ready to go. After firefighter quarantine went out the window and was being lowered, we had the SCBA fiber alert alarms going off as well. And that's a really interesting point you brought. The stairway was charged, so you're on air to get to the floor above. Yes. Now it's a rope rescue. Take your mask off, put it down. Yes. You know, turn the pass alarm off. Yes. They're gonna start going off, right? I was talking to the firefighters who did the rope rescue, and we talked about them being lowered with a tool. I go, you know, companies all around the city are drilling now with a, with a tool. And that's another thing we're going to learn out of it. It's like a lesson learned. Yeah, shut your mask off. There's going to be numerous masks. In short order, they're going to start going off. All right, the first firefighter went out, what we thought was going to be a rope rescue. Tell us what happened. He knew that he wasn't going to be able to safely remove her arm from the window gate. He knew that we're going to need some tools and possibly more members on rope to help him. Well, that's discipline. And this person was now standing on the outside of the windowsill, correct? Yes. And her Actually, was her entangled. whole body was outside the window. Outside. The only thing was holding her in that position was her arm. He then moved on to the second individual, which was a male individual, who was um, gasping for air. So he was trying to grab onto firefighter quarantine. And uh, firefighter quarantine, very heads up move, he knew he wasn't in the correct position to grab this large individual. So then he moved on to the third victim, female victim. He also saw that he wasn't able to grab her in that situation. So he relayed the information to the members above. He thought it was best that, you know, continue down and let the members operate from above. Yeah, it's a heads up move. So he dropped down. Right? Yes, and another detail of mine, firefighter Pogowski, he was at Can Firefighter for that day tour. He's next up. He was the next one up to uh, get into position for a rope rescue. So, uh, Lieutenant Walsh, at this point, probably arriving on the floor above? I literally arrived on the floor above when they had just gotten, I believe, the second woman down and in. That's yeah. how fast all this went. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, there was the guy still waiting at the window. They had control at that point. The second is the gentleman's size. And the, and the third thing, and, and one of the most important things, is you have to have a compliant person at the window. I had to run back downstairs to help the engine company get him out. His arms were bloodied. He was almost flaccid, like he couldn't really hold his own weight. That's why that line had to be in place and get going, because taking him out, the one person on rope would have to be doing all the work. And that is physically impossible. Mm -hmm. You have to have the victim at least wrap themselves around you in some way. There was a real smoke condition in that. Absolutely. I mean, that's... They took quite the hit. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Smoke inhalation for all three of them is probably pretty serious. Another heads up move I saw at this fire, which we haven't even discussed yet. Initially, they lowered a mask. Yes, exactly. Yeah. From yeah. what I understand from the after action report, somebody figured out to just put it on their face, which was good. As far as that aspect goes, the members that in the apartment, you know, they their tool assignment didn't have the rope with them initially. Well, the first two truck is not assigned a rope. No. They're assigned yeah. a KL curtain. Correct. As a result, th those members that were there initially, they figured they had to do something first to, to help these people. So one of the solutions they came up with was to lower a mask. What the member did was he took his mask off, he put the uh, purge valve on, on open and lowered it down and told them, you know, put this near your face. And they did that. It seemed to have been working. And then the individuals, uh, for whatever reason, they lost their grip on it. And the mask did fall. Yeah. When that mask came to the ground, I mean, it was literally a heart stopper because if you weren't aware that it was the mask, you, you could have thought worse of what it was. Yeah. But while equipment and resources were still being brought up, they attempted it again with the second mask. But this time they tied it off. Yeah. Now we have all these people out on a rope. One of your concerns is getting them back in. 
you got to assign resources. So ladder four, they were in that vicinity as the fast truck. So they were on that floor below. But I knew that that was going to be needed, being that we had so many people and so many members that were going to be involved in this. Ladder seven was actually assigned on the second alarm, but they were close by in the neighborhood. I think they had taken up from another box. So they got in rather quickly. So when they reported in, they said, ladder seven, chief, what do you need? And I said, get to the floor below. We're going to have multiple people coming in from this rope rescue. I need the whole company up there. And their acknowledgement was 10-4, and they headed up. And we didn't have really any issues bringing the members and the patients in on that floor below. Yeah. Being the size of the patients and the severity of their injuries, having those multiple members was very good because it put extra people there to uh, to treat those people right away. Do you have EMS resources up? up? Is now we have elevators um, out of service. We actually had one of the occupants from the fire department. They had come out prior to my arrival and they were actually leaning on one of the first alarm units uh, bumper. I was advised by one of the members that they were severely burned. So engine 54 was the CFRD engine on the assignment. When they announced their arrival on the box, I told them we have one person already outside that needs attention and then I have multiple people upstairs. They addressed the first person, they met up with EMS resources and handed them off to there for the proper care and then they continued up again ascending the stairs because the elevators were out and they got to the floor below and they were in position to start treating those victims and they did have severe injuries between burns and smoke inhalation and other cuts and impalement. On the floor above, any issues when you had two of your members out there? No issues at all. There was no hesitation by any of the members. They knew what we had to do, and they got into position, and they did an amazing job. Yeah, they really did. And uh, one thing that highlights the most is the coordination and the teamwork. Me and the chief were talking previously, and one thing we talked about is when your first and second due truck are involved in a road rescue, there's nobody assigned. Now you have to assign someone to make the trip to the roof, and maybe you could explain that a little. So normally what I do, and I, and I did it at this fire too, is the truck started arriving. So I had ladder 35, I told them, go to the floors above. Because I knew there was this torrent of people starting to come down and the phone calls that were received by both our dispatches and the police dispatches. Then what I did was, I believe ladder 21 was next up. I told them, you have to get to the roof. I need you to take the top floor and the roof because I knew that there was probably people on the roof area. The bulkheads now were probably open from those people self-evacuating. Which throws another monkey wrench in, Correct. The, in the works. Correct. And, and we were very fortunate that we didn't have a wind-impacted fire that day because we had... The, the door was open? The it door was in the was hallway? Open. Absolutely. And when those members exiting that stairwell coming out, they, that would have been the perfect storm and we could have had fatalities to our members. The other factor is I try to keep that whole company up there at the top because if we do eventually lose the elevators, which, which occurs quite a bit, I have at least some resources that I can have at least start climbing down. And climbing downstairs is a lot easier than climbing up. So it puts them up there early to try to address those issues. And then yeah. as time goes on, we can kind of start having them descend to address whatever issues yeah, we have those on the lower floors. Yeah, top floors you're going to need searches on. Correct. Chauffeur, another detail from a 13 truck, the firefighter Pinsky. So his job is to get to the roof and get to the bulkhead door. He was on the 25th floor. So he walked up to the 18th floor on the A stairway, crossed over to the B stairway. And about the 25th floor was when he ran into a bunch of individuals that, you know, were trying to make their escape. And all of a sudden, someone opened the door on the fire floor and the stairway got yeah. charged. So then it was heads up move. It's like the 25th floor, open up the, the hallway door and put everybody into the hallway door into conditions. It became normal again, and then he had him back in the staircase, and 
took them to the roof. Well, it just highlights some of the real challenges we have in these high-rise fireproof MDs, the amount of people. They were coming down the attack stair as we were trying to get up. You yeah. can't blame them. As you stated, such a small stairway. The time that it took for people to walk up the stairs, mm. I think we must have set a record. Yeah, I could go on, right? First member out, sizing it up. I don't have what I need. The next two coming down, coordinating together and working together to free, free two victims. And then solving all the problems on the fire floor, which is how we'd really like all these fires to end, not put people on rope because it's a dangerous uh, evolution. Adrenaline is really high, and everybody did a phenomenal job. And in that adrenaline rush, one of the things to take away, maybe just remember Yeah, let's do that right now. Let's do takeaways. Right, so the the person on rope to just remember, wait a minute, I, I see somebody who they don't appear to have their own ability to stand or do anything. Is the line moving in? We, do we have do we have control of this? So that, okay, wait a minute. All right, maybe we, I can just stand there and talk to this person and we can put mask on this person because we know this fire is out and we're going to get them from the inside. Put that in your head as a, the roof position to put that in your head. Joe, how about you? What are some takeaways? One of the things that we actually talked about, like if we were the first new truck in a situation like that, maybe it would be a good idea for like the first new OV position to just bring the life-saving rope into the elevator. So that if it is on like a upper floor, like the 20th floor again or something like that, at least the rope is up on the 18th floor. And then maybe you can get into position and have it all set up. So if the elevators do fail again, right, as they yeah. did previously, that at least it's up there, it's ready to go and just waiting for a member or two just to, to clip into the life-saving rope. It was on the 20th floor, but it could have been on the 37th floor. You bring up a good point. There's not a rope assigned. Rescue, yes, but not first due. Let's say that was on the 60th floor. Right? And the first two units are up there, there's not a rope. You know, that's, that's, that's a good takeaway. Uh, it's something to look at for sure. I agree. Chief? The takeaways from this fire are kind of endless, but I'll give you a few of them. Number one, there was a lot of, on this fire where members adapted and overcame the circumstances. The lowering of the mask, the ability to tie you off or not tie you off, the ability to extricate that woman using just basic hand tools. One of the, f- the situations that we had is after those victims were brought in, and it wasn't just them, we had some other people that, that were in panic mode and had some maybe some respiratory issues. We had to get those persons down to the lower floors. Now, EMS had set up a forward triage area around the 10th and 11th floor, but we had patients that were you know severely injured and everything. We had to get them down. One of the firefighters on the scene, firefighter Bob Kitson from Engine 23, they were the high-rise nozzle unit. But he was down in the street monitoring all of the communications, and he came up to me and said, Chief, how about I run up with a, a bunch of skeds up to that 18th floor, and we can get persons on skeds and get them down to EMS. And at first, I was kind of hesitant about that because, you know, we don't normally just kind of have, have somebody do something in that kind of a fashion. But the fire was already knocked down, and I felt with the severity of the injuries and the fact that we had no elevators that this was our only option. And I gave Bob the go-ahead to do that. And he did. He brought those skeds up there. Those patients were brought down. And I knew that was a success when I saw those patients being wheeled away by EMS still on the skeds on the gurney. Again, the mask being lowered down, that was another factor. The situation with the line, I believe that line kind of got pinched at two floors, the fire floor on 20 and also at 21, due to the high sills of those doors that didn't come down low enough on the floor, and it wasn't adequately able to be chocked open. So as a result, it, it yeah, got that moved caused, and that closed. Creates a problem. You know, and, and then the fact that the hallways were carpeted kind of inhibited that attack line from rapidly making yeah, its way. We talked about that prior to the podcast, Absolutely. which I've not seen, but again, it's right. a Manhattan thing. Right. So what ended up happening was the first, the second, and third due engine company all worked together to get that line in position. Four-length stretch. Correct. And then having some filtered personnel from rescue and the trucks 
assisting to get that line in position and moving. And didn't you, know? you say somebody gave a nod to somebody who grabbed that fourth link on the elevator? Correct. So the members of 8Engine, as they were responding, they read the SIDS information, right? That's the information that we have ahead of pre-planned our building. Get, yeah. One of the members, I believe the backup firefighter from 8Engine, looked and saw that the F-line apartments, you would need four lengths. So when they arrived into the lobby and they got into the elevator, that firefighter leaned out to Engine 21 and said, can you give us one of your lengths? We need four. We'll get it started at least by the time you get up there. But that's such a huge thing it because we lost the elevators. It was that. huge. It was huge. We lost the elevators, but at least we had the right amount of hose to get up there. It was just that we needed the personnel to get that line into position and move it down into the hallway. If I had to describe three things that the members at this fire did, it was number one, it was just teamwork. You know, teamwork to me is, a, is an acronym for together everybody achieves more. And that's exactly what happened here. The second thing was determination. They were determined to make this a successful outcome. They were determined to get those three uh, trapped victims to safety from that fire department. And the other thing was just guts. You're talking about three members on rope, 20 stories above, at a heated window, working to extricate and rescue three people. Amazing. It makes you really proud to be a member of the FDNY, and it really showed that day. We had studied this fire afterwards at an after-action review, and from when we arrived to when the civilians were brought in and the fire was completely knocked down and we were basically in, in an overhaul mode, was 31 minutes. Yeah. That's incredible. <laughs> That's incredible, the amount of time that we accomplished all of this. 31 minutes included yeah. the walk up. Everybody had quite the pace going. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it was phenomenal to see that everybody just did yeah. their job that day. And you know, as, as in every situation, problems occur because we, we work in chaotic situations. And every major problem, it didn't matter if this is failing, okay, what's plan B? Okay, what's plan C? What's plan D? And in that period of time, I agree with you. I, it's amazing in 31 minutes, Everything that could have gone wrong went right. You use the word inspirational. It's funny. I use the same thing after we sat down with the three firefighters who did the, did the rescue and just how squared away they were. I just came away so impressed. And uh, I'll say the same for this podcast. I'm glad we did this. You know, originally we were supposed to do this in April or May, and I'm perusing through the department orders and I see uh, Lieutenant Walsh's name on the retirement order. You have had quite a career, and there are a lot of different paths you could take in the fire department that would have been easier. <laughs> <laughs> that is true, yeah. But, I, you know, I, I'm amazed at the teamwork all the time from people who are just out of the academy to people who are very seasoned. And when we are clicking, we really are something. I'm very impressed by a lot of the people that I have worked with, incredibly intelligent, giving, can't do enough for you. The stuff that they do at, at jobs, you just, you know, you just sit mm. there and you just go, this, this is why this city is as safe from the, the tragedy that can befall it. I think that's the big thing about this department is, you know, we just, we just don't stop. Everybody from the first two engine to the last two truck, everybody, EMS, everybody charged in and just said, what do we do to make this better? You've had a lot of firsts, though, in your, in your career. First female rescue company officer? Yes, first rescue firefighter and first rescue officer, yes. And first officer in a, in a SOC, yes. A lot to be proud of. Thank you very much. If it wasn't for all the support I've had, I would never have made it this far. Right, awesome. So thanks to all the folks who, uh, yeah. who I've worked with who have been incredibly supportive because I'm very grateful. All right, well, listen, good luck in your next chapter. Thank you very much. Chief Pascicello is in the process of writing an article for WNYF magazine. Correct, yes, it's becoming up in the uh, latest upcoming issue. It was done with myself, Lieutenant Chris DiGiulio from Ladder 2, and Captain Greg Schmidt from Engine 8. And uh, we had some assistance with Lieutenant Joe Decker and Captain Zaccaro and other members of the elevator task force uh, with their input also. You could also check that out on fdnypro.org. 
I appreciate everybody taking the time to come down today and uh, talk about this. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for tuning into this edition of the FDNY Pro Podcast. For more training and information from our subject matter experts, go to FDNYPro.org. FDNY Pro is online at FDNYPro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.